What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report slash Sheesh Report. My name is Marcus Grant. As always, glad to be with you as we put a bow on week six and get ready for week seven. Of course, as always, I am joined by my two faithful co-hosts, Dwayne McFarlane and Ian Harditz. And uh, Dwayne, I know we'll, we'll get into this. We were talking, though, before the show. Uh, I know injuries happen, but man, it feels like it's been especially brutal this year yeah yeah and i think we we say this every year and then every year i also say this next statement but this really feels like the year where it is the worst <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean we've just had superstar breakouts from guys like hn you know you don't really get to have him you know i mean and, and it started early right we had the stuff with and jt wasn't necessarily an injury it was kind of an injury but not an injury you know a contract thing so it was four weeks there you had cooper cup out now we've got Justin Fields this past weekend, um, Josh Allen's shoulder. It's, it sounds like that's probably going to be okay, but still, like, it's just superstar after superstar. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Justin Jefferson the week before. I Yeah. It, was, it keeps us uh, in jobs, yeah. Marcus, because everybody wants to know, like, what do I do with <laughs> Zach? Who's Zach Evans? And now why do I have to care about it? Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we will get to that. I mean, you're even go, you're even, you know, forgetting to go back to uh, Aaron Rodgers in week one, Nick Chubb in week uh. two. I mean, this literally from the jump uh, has been an injury plagued NFL season. But uh, let's get to that. We're going to get to obviously some utilization stuff. We've got Ian here to do the sheesh report, but uh, let's dive into some of these injury situations. Starting in Los Angeles, where Kyron Williams likely is out for week seven. And uh, their backup running back, Ronnie Rivers, who was occasionally getting some opportunities, he's going on injured reserve as well. So as Dwayne mentioned, Zach Evans is the next man up. I mean, Ian, let's start here. I mean, uh, Zach Evans, what are we doing? How much How much are we spending fab on him? How much waiver priority should we you know, be, be considering to get him there? It doesn't sound like Kyron's going to be missing too much time. I mean, the way they are talking about it, it does sound like week six is, in fact, excuse me, week seven is, in fact, going to be in doubt for him here. But the thing with Zach Evans and the thing with any of these backup running backs is we can't always just assume the starter leaves and the backup literally takes one for one the same route they had. Sometimes it works out that way, but seriously, Kyron Williams right now has one of, if not the most fantasy-friendly roles in all of fantasy football. He rarely ever leaves the field. He's their early down back. He's their pass down back. He is their everything back. So as much as Zach Evans, hey, you might hear this you know, 90,000 times this week, used to be a five-star recruit back in the day. I don't know that he has the trust of Sean McVay and his coaching staff to go out there and get that same level of role. So in terms of you know the A-chan to the kind of Kyron Williams in his own right, earlier in the year what you know kind of level of handcuff upside can he be compared to those guys versus maybe more what we saw last week with the Deontay Foreman's the Chuba Hubbard's even the Amari DiMercato's I do think he falls a bit more in the latter side of things so it's a great offense and hey you need help you need help we have six freaking teams on by this week I get it but Dwayne I don't know about you man but just assuming Evans is going to step back into that role after he's already had a hard enough time really getting any playing time not you know something I'm going all the way in on yeah, it's not ideal. I will say this, though, like the Rams have told us multiple times they want someone else to compliment Kyron Williams. And now we have this injury. So they're probably thinking that even more. I'm kind of surprised they haven't looked at a veteran um, like Leonard Fournette, who's visiting with the Bills right now. Um, so the thing with Evans is at least we do know that he has this underlying profile that if he does come out and play well, maybe 
he could turn this into a larger role than just being there for a week or two. But to your point, Ian, like I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but I think we always have to think about the range of outcomes. And so I do like the fact that this is a player that was very explosive in college. He had an 81st percentile explosive rush rate. So those are carries of 10 plus yards or more. 21% of his carries went for 10 plus yards in college. That was second best in the class. Actually, that was the best in this last class. And then if you look at his 18% targets per route run, his 1.35 yards per route run, like those were both really solid. He wasn't just a swing pass guy in college. He had a positive average depth of target. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, duality to his game. Like he's not just a guy that can play between the tackles. He is more of a, a guy that wants to get to the edge, tries to break the long run. I suspect that might be part of what has kept him on the bench. A lot of coaches don't like the guy that just wants to take it to the corner store is what they say. You know, can't, can't always go to the corner <laughs> store. Sometimes you got to stay inside. So we'll see if, you know, he can take the coaching and, uh, you know, potentially turn this into a larger role because Ronnie Rivers, like, I don't, I'll be honest, like I don't really know that much about Ronnie Rivers. And even when I went and researched Ronnie Rivers, I still didn't know very much about Ronnie Rivers. I'm like, what? where did this guy come from? Um, but, but he's hurt. He's going to be out at least a, probably, he'll probably end up going on the short-term IR. I don't know if they made that official yesterday, but he's got a PCL strain. So there could be a larger window than just one game here to help uh, at least, you know, even if it's only one game with Kyron Williams, we could have a few weeks for him to carve out that backup role. And then you have contingent value on top of that. But what are you thinking, guys, as far as like Fab? I'll tell you what, Fab, this year has been a rodeo. It honestly feels like waiver wire priority. <laughs> if you've got it, people are just blowing. Like I was in leagues last week where Amari DiMarcato was going for 45% of people's Fab. I saw one league where it was like 57% of Fab. So I'm with Ian there. It's like, okay, can we hit like can we get a quick break check? I I have I really don't know what to tell you what Zach Evans is gonna go for. I feel like the max should be, you know, 15%. And I feel like I'm being aggressive just because of the way this year is played out, saying 15%. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say 25, so I guess I'm a little more aggressive than you because just maybe it's it's a little bit of panic. And maybe that's what all of this is, right? Maybe it's just people panicking because there's so many injuries and, and yeah. that sort of thing. So I was going to say 25, but again, may, maybe I'm a little bit over the top there. But, you know, considering the way things have gone and the other running backs we're going to talk about who may miss some time, uh, I might end up being on the low side. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how you feel, Ian. Yeah, I just can't believe that, you know, we're still spending this much time on Amari Mercado and now Zach Evans. And I know we talked about Evans plenty in the process, but this is still, you know, a deep day three pick. So, again, can't stress enough. If you are out there, you play Madden, you play any other football game, and you do not turn off injuries at the beginning, you are part of the problem. Be better injury gods. <laughs> Uh, also, by the way, all my friends in the Central Valley of California would be upset if I didn't give a shout out to Fresno State's own uh, Ronnie Rivers. They would uh, they text me, they DM me, it'd be a whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> um, other injury situations. David Montgomery looks like he's going to be out in multiple weeks for the Detroit Lions. Uh, the, I guess, good news for the Lions is that Jameer Gibbs looked like he was close last week and is trending in the right direction this week. But in the short term, Dwayne, it does look like uh, we're going to see a lot more Craig Reynolds. He handled a lot of the work on Sunday after Montgomery went out, and I assume he's the guy who slides in to get some sort of opportunity uh, in the next couple of weeks with Montgomery gone. Yeah, Reynolds is a guy that at least, you know, Detroit has shown that they have trusted. Uh, the big thing here, we just have to wait and monitor what's going to happen with Jameer Gibbs. Supposedly, he was close to being able to go last week. 
you know, typically though, if you're close, I feel like Dan Campbell is just going to make you go. Like, it's kind of like the dad thing. <laughs> oh, dad, I don't really want to go to dinner with the family. No, you're going to dinner with the family. Like it's just happening. So now you're suiting up, Jameer, you're going to be out there. So I, I would lean towards, you know, Jameer probably playing this week. So that's the thing that if we knew it was just going to be Craig Reynolds and we knew that Jameer Gibbs was going to be out this next week, I would feel more confident in that one. I think I'm putting Zach Evans as the bigger priority. Also, I think Evans has a better chance to carve out a role that, you know, if things go right, Ian, like he said, it's a long shot. Why are we still talking about this guy? Well, because there's <laughs> 5,000 injuries, but he's the one that I think would have a better chance of carving out a long-term part of the pie, right, for the Rams. Like Craig Reynolds, once you have David Montgomery and you've got Jameer Gibbs back, like he's not touching the ball. Like he's not going to be part of the game plan. So I would put him a lower priority because there is also a chance that Gibbs still plays this week. So uh, that's good news to get Jameer Gibbs back. I mean, Ian, is this the, the opportunity that we've been waiting for for Jameer Gibbs that maybe he he gets more touches? We've been begging for it for a while. Will it finally happen this week? Yeah, and I mean, we did see this briefly in week three when David Montgomery was sidelined, you know, for one week. And Gibbs accordingly had 17 carries, two targets on a 60% snap rate. Although that still, guys, is not quite at the level of the role that we've seen Montgomery really carve out for himself in Detroit. So I do think Craig Reynolds, like he was in that game, will continue to be involved you know as a clear number two but still involved the thing i can't help but wonder though and Dwayne, we kind of talked about this on our sunday night pod is if they could make another move for a backup running back of some sorts zonovan knight actually got put on the ir list but shortly before this game even happened this week he was their next man up so justin jackson someone who retired before this season but he's been involved with the team in the past even though leonard fournette's visit got canceled the bills every single reporter told us guys there's still multiple teams interested i mean it's week seven his visit got canceled he has no other visits scheduled but no so much interest going on here for this free agent running back so i kid i kid but seriously like this is such a banged up room right now as much as gibbs should be the lead back obviously they have their reservations about putting too much on his workload but it's a great offense so obviously we need to try to figure this out in a hurry so i'm with Dwayne, where i don't think reynolds you know in and of himself is going to be someone maybe a week you know that we can trust of anything that's going to anything more than that i should say is going to be wishful thinking. But for now, Gibbs certainly going to be, you know, a recommended star as an RB2. Yeah, uh, we've been waiting for this moment, so hopefully he's able to take advantage of it. Uh, there is a bit of good news, though. Dwayne Deontay Johnson is coming back after his stint on injured reserve. Uh, George Pickens has played very well in Johnson's absence. So does this mean that we get two Steelers wide receivers we can use? Or is Kenny Pickett just going to pick one guy uh, over the other? <laughs> Well, it sounds like we'll also get Fryermuth back this week. So the, the Steelers are going to be as full strength as we have seen the Steelers. But yeah, I just wanted this one on the show sheet because we just need good news in our lives. We just need to hear, oh, this player's <laughs> coming back. This player is actually going to play football. They're not now going to not be playing football. So with Deontay Johnson, he's always been a really good target earner. I think you're asking the right question, Marcus, and it's like, what, what happens now with Pickens? Does this all go back to Deontay Johnson? Like, hopefully Matt Canada is smart enough. We talked about Pickens last week on this show and the fact that really his route tree has really become more diversified this year. He's running more slants, more crossers, more things coming back to the football, not just running go routes. Like last year, almost I couldn't believe it, like almost 50% of his routes were go routes. So Imagine what happens whenever you're not just running the route that's really the, one of the least targeted routes, you know, in the NFL every year from a from a percentage of times that it's ran. And now you actually let this guy run some of these other routes. So hopefully 
they keep him involved in that same way. And now opposing defenses actually have to worry about the full route tree for both of these really good wide receivers. And then you're also adding Firemuth in underneath. So it will all come down to really Kenny Pickett. But if he can be average, then we could see both of these wide receivers really be successful. I do think a little bit of the ceiling is now gone from Deontay Johnson because I, I think even Matt Canada, as much as we can get you know upset with him, is going to keep Pickens really folded into the game plan the way he has been. And I think that means that now there's just going to be more competition for targets in the shorter intermediate areas of the field. But I still think Deontay Johnson can come in and perform. I look at him as a wide receiver three in this first week back, and then I think he can earn his way up from there. Probably going to be looking at Pickens as a low-end wide receiver two this week. He had worked his way up into that mid-range wide receiver two area. And that's that's how I'm going to start off this week, and then we'll we'll adjust based on what we see. So we will uh, see, but Pickens has definitely played well uh, so far in this season. Even if a lot of folks in Pittsburgh look at Matt Canada's offense and say sheesh, which is the perfect way to get us to the sheesh report, which uh, Ian Harditz writes every single week. You can find that live over at fantasylife.com where he goes through and watches everything that you might not have a chance to to let you know the things that probably left you frustrated because of your fantasy production or maybe some of your sports betting that didn't go the way you wanted. So let's start, Ian, with Baker Mayfield. And look, the Lions defense is much improved over where it was the last couple of years. But nonetheless, uh, it was a pretty awful day for Mayfield trying to throw the football. Yeah, these are mostly unforced errors here. Shout out Aiden Hutchinson and company have made a lot of good things happen. And even Baker Mayfield and, you know, the let's bake movement we got going on has had far more, you know, good than bad here through six weeks of 2023. That said, Sunday was a bad day for Baker and company really started off, you know, with a complete blown coverage. Mike Evans was way behind the secondary. We legit guys were looking at a 92 yard house call here, but Baker Mayfield's, you know, just intended pass gets deflected at the line and picked off. So, that's the least she won here for Baker. Like it would have been a lot cooler if he was taller, but tipped up the line. Tough to totally blame him. The next three, though, were brutal. Chris Goblin at the end of the game open for a 29-yard score, and Baker skipped it in. And then Trey Palmer, one time on a potential 69-yard house call, got past sale despite a clean pocket. And then later probably should have had another just 40-plus-yard chunk gain. Also sailed by Baker. So again, don't want to let 60 minutes to find a player. I know a lot of people are saying there's a journeyman Baker back again. He has played more good football than what we saw on Sunday over the first part of the season. But Sheesh Report takes no prisoners. So got to call out the Sheesh when we see it. Uh, and then over to Los Angeles, where you know the Rams ended up having a pretty good day, a big Kyron Williams game in the second half. Matthew Stafford, uh, an okay game, but it, it could have been better with some uncharacteristic drops by some sure-handed guys in the lineup. Yeah, if I had to just say just what box scores were kind of the most misleading in terms of what the actual quarterback play was last week, I would say it's Geno Smith and then at first place, though, Matthew Stafford. I mean, my God, some of the throws he was putting on tape, ridiculous even for him out there. And yes, had not one but two drop touchdowns. I'm a little bit of a tougher grader, I think. You know, the first one, the Puka Nakua, he did have to admittedly die for the ball. But when it hits your hands and it's in your chest, I'm calling that a drop. So 16 yards to him. Also, six yards to Tyler Higby. A bit more egregious there. So, again, only one touchdown in the box score for Stafford. I know a lot of people have been ready to stream him and just ready to hopefully get that touchdown regression. Wasn't quite there this last week, but again, still more good than bad, you know, coming out of Stafford and this Rams passing game. Also would note, we had three other pretty bad drop touchdowns on the week. Nick Westbrook-Akini from 14 yards. 
Brandon Ayuk from honestly 66 yards, like it was kind of a wonky play where it looked like Denzel Ward maybe got there earlier, but hit him in two hands and Ward fell down. So you hated to see that. And last night, Michael Gallup from 35 yards, one of the best throws Dak probably had all season right there in the bread basket. Yes, replay showed that Gallup did get pulled just a little bit before the ball got there. Also, yes, penalty wasn't called. And that's a sheesh. That is a sheesh indeed. Uh, same game last night, though. Austin Eckler, which we're excited to finally have him back after spending some time out with an injured ankle. Uh, the Chargers just, I don't know, they were allergic to getting in the end zone, it seemed like, most of the night. And uh, Eckler just finds himself running up against the brick wall near the goal line, it looked like. Yeah, one of the things I track every single week, and we'll have you know our season-long leaderboard going as well, is players who get stopped at the one-yard line and then do not you know, score a touchdown on the same drive. So, this happened not once, but twice to Austin Eckler last night on completely separate drives. So I still believe nobody has scored more touchdowns than Eckler over the past, you know, two and a half seasons. Maybe McCaffrey is caught up at this point, but obviously one of the premier touchdown scorers in the NFL. So close yet so far away. So usage stuff more than fine, you know, just unfortunately a bit worse luck than usual inside the five. And now on the season, guys. It is Austin Eckler, it's Brian Robinson, it is DeAndre Swift, and it is Joe Mixon as the only players with three such sheeshes. That sucks. Yeah, I, you, you mentioned DeAndre Swift, and on his touchdown on Sunday, he, he sort of bounced off of the fender at the goal line, and I could just imagine in his head him thinking, I don't want to be in the sheesh report again for getting stopped near the goal line. <laughs> he just sort of battled his way in to, to score that touchdown on Sunday, which, you know, hey, we, you love to see it. Uh, also then a few guys who maybe through no fault of their own in some instances, just missed out on scores. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, dude keeps he's a scoring machine, but he probably could have had another touchdown probably on Sunday. Yeah, and, you know, it is a insane streak that he's on right now with all the touchdowns, but today in the performance could have been even bigger. 54-yard house call. He had the wheel route. It looked like the linebacker was just sitting more on an option route. Dusted, no safety over top. Incomplete pass, though. Not Purdy's less, not Purdy's best performance, I should say. His most Purdy performance uh, at the office out there. So yeah, big miss there for McCaffrey. Also had Keenan Allen last night, not once but twice. Herbert missed him when he was really wide open after some dope route running. One would have been a 50-yard house call. Other one probably was more of a 20, 30-yard chunk game. But yeah, Keenan's performance also could have been much bigger. And then finally, Marquise Brown becoming a regular here in our unrealized air yard section. High potential 40 and 37 yard touchdowns overthrown by Joshua Dobbs so when we look at these things it's always kind of like okay was that really on the quarterback or were these prayer yards they really had no chance of being completed in the first place and again in all three of these uh, situations at least it was a clean pocket the player was open could have should have would have had that touchdown but instead Marcus here we are talking about it on the Shoes Report Tuesday morning yeah, there was one uh, Andy Barons of Yahoo quote tweeted it saying that uh, noting that Keenan Allen sent his man cartwheeling out of bounds. There you do. You see a, a defender kind of rolling like a tumbleweed uh, across the field at SoFi Stadium toward the sideline there. Deron Bland. All for not. Yeah, there. You know, here's the thing. Deron Bland had a great game last night. That just was you know, <laughs> outside one, of that. one that he probably won't want to watch again. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's funny. He won't want to watch again. The rest of the game, uh, he played really, really well last night. Uh, in the meantime, of course, uh, the Sheesh Report, always a good time. Be sure to go check that out at FantasyLife.com. Ian, appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, my man. Uh, so there it is. Ian Harditz, uh, the Sheesh Report. In the meantime, we can turn...
our attention to utilization because uh, that's a lot of why we are here for this one. So plenty of guys to go through. Uh, not so much on the quarterbacks this week. I think uh, quarterback kind of is what it was. I don't know that there's any major movement one way or another. So let's dive in with running backs uh, a little bit different this week. And Brees Hall. It's another week of great Brees Hall utilization, Dwayne. I mean, last week we talked about the, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook. I'm blanking on his name. Dalvin Cook, that's that's how far that's back how he's gone that I forget who he is now. <laughs> uh, you know, he's uh, he looks like he's sort of out of the offense at this point. Brees Hall, it's, you know, the arrow keeps pointing up for him. Yeah, Dalvin Cook, the percentage of rushing attempts over the last four games, 38% to 33% to 21% to 16%. So trending in the wrong direction. And then you have the other side of that, which is Brees Hall. And so we already talked about last week how he really had taken over the early down role, meaning he was now the primary runner for the team. But we also talked about, you know, there's still a little bit of meat on the bone here. If he suddenly starts to take over part of that role from Michael Carter in the passing game, that's going to be his path. Um, to where we could talk about him truly being back to that every down back. Now, we didn't even know for sure if that would happen or when it would happen, but it only took one more week, Marcus. This last week, a 60% route participation. Michael Carter was at 20%, almost his season low. The week before, Michael Carter saw 52% of the work. And not only that, we also saw Brees Hall pick up 40% of the two-minute offense. So that other 60% went to Carter, and that's really where his playing time um, on passing downs came from. So the complete takeover is in process. And I think the Jets just see Brees Hall as their ticket to trying to win games because he can give you a big play at any moment. We're not getting that from Dalvin Cook. Those are wasted touches. We're not getting that from Michael Carter. Those are wasted touches. Anything the Jets are doing besides trying to get the ball to Garrett Wilson or Brees Hall is probably just wasting opportunities. So I, it's nice to see the offense really condense around these two guys. Zach Wilson's going to obviously be a concern. He's a governor, a restrictor plate, if you will, on the offense. It's going to be hard to have these absolute blow-up games where you know the whole offense is just vibing. But Brees Hall on his own is still good enough because you don't need five opportunities inside the five-yard line to score a lot of fantasy points if you're Brees Hall because you can do that from the 20. You can do that from the 30. And then in the games where the offense is playing a little bit better, those are going to be the potential blow-up games. So rarely, Marcus, do we get the unique combination of extreme talent and this high-end utilization like what we're getting with Brees Hall. So he moves into the bottom of the RB1 conversation, and that's only because like I make people go through the steps of moving up or down because sometimes these data – uh, points that we get, they can be blips. Like we're doing the best we can. We want to react. We want to give people the right information to adjust. But also next week, we could still be talking about Brees Hall as a high-end running back too. Probably not because his talent's so good anyway. But I, I, we could also be talking about him as a top four, top five back. Because like right now, Bijan Robinson is probably the closest thing I'm seeing when I'm watching other running backs to the explosiveness we're already seeing from Brees Hall, who's not still not 100%. That's the wild part about this. But Brees Hall is now going to be in a better role. He's actually going to be in, an, in a situation where he's getting more touches every week than Bijan. And I think those are the two most explosive young backs in the league. Obviously, CMC is doing his things, folks, doing his thing. So he's he's always <laughs> right. up there. Look, just let's say, see, let's put CMC on his own pedestal. And then, you know, we're talking about these next two guys that want to challenge CMC. And I do believe that Brees Hall and Bijan are the two guys with the talent to do it. But suddenly it's Brees Hall that finds himself in the better role than even Bijan. 
Well, considering the number of injuries and committees, the fact that we get some clarity and uh, one player sort of taking over in a backfield is incredibly welcome news, which gets us to Denver, where there is a lot less clarity. I mean, at the start of the season, we've got a two guys with Javante Williams and Samaje Pirine. Uh, then Williams goes down. Jaleel McLaughlin steps in and plays well. Now, does it look like we're going to have three guys there? Is Sean Payton really going to do this to us in Denver? I think he is because we've seen him do this. <laughs> he always gets this pet player. Um, you know, he's like the teacher's pet and it's Jalil McLaughlin <laughs> at this point. And so like, if you just isolate down looking at week three, when Jalil McLaughlin really came into this larger role and Javante Williams was still healthy that game. And then week six, those are the two games where we had Jalil McLaughlin in the larger role that Sean Payton wanted to have him in. And we had Javante Williams actually available for the full game and on the field. And it's not good, Marcus. Like we're probably looking at nine to 12 rushing attempts per game. If you toggle and that's the cool thing over on fantasylife.com is you've got a toggle button at the top whenever you come in and you look at game logs and you can either look at the raw stats or you can look at the percentages. The percentages help us think about what might this player look like in a certain type of game. But in the end of the day, like the true raw numbers are what matters the most. And if we look at some, here's some comps. You know, Marcus, so if you get nine to 12 rushing attempts per game, which is probably what Javante is looking at at this point, the average finish running back 47 since 2011, yeah. eight points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh. <laughs> 8.6 points per game. And then you got McLaughlin's role, six to eight attempts per game, plus one to two targets. That's running back 56, 6.2 points per game. Now, these two guys are outperforming those numbers right now. They are young players. Javante should be getting healthier. He's he's battling a compensatory injury with his hip right now that he picked up from the knee injury, which he was ahead of schedule on this all, all summer, and he's, he's done a nice job to get back. So they could end up offsetting some of this, but Piran's still involved too. He's out there getting one to two carries, but mostly taking on the passing down work. So it's like, it's just really tough, especially in an offense where it's just really hit or miss each week. Like the Broncos have had a couple of nice games on offense. And then there's some games like last week, you're like, whoa, like what is happening here? This looks really bad. So I've downgraded Javante Williams. I think he's borderline, you know, trying to, he's, he's clinging, right? Just trying to stay in the running back three conversation <laughs> right now. McLaughlin, I do think I upgraded him actually, just because he does also look good. He looks really explosive. So we have to remember, none of this is ever static. The coaches could change their mind in two to three weeks and just be like, P. Ryan, you're out of the picture. We got to have these other two guys on the field. But for right now, you have to you have to really consider should they be anywhere near your starting lineup. And I would, if I'm, you know, having to make a decision on these guys, my my answer is preferably not. Now, also know, week seven, we've got six <laughs> teams on by and seventy thousand players are hurt. So I, I get it. You may have to have one of these guys in your flex, but I'll be honest, like if I could have any sort of running back off the wire that I think has a chance to get 50, 60 percent of the work this weekend because of injuries, I would rather have that player in my lineup than either of these guys. Which takes us back to our Zach Evans conversation at the very <laughs> full circle back to Zach show. Evans. We're talking too uh, comes, much about comes Zach all the way back around. <laughs> I mean, Ian's gone now, so we could talk more about Zach Evans uh, at this point if we wanted to. Um, over to Houston, where we have been trying to wait on Damian Pierce to get things going. But uh, if last week was any indication, Dwayne, it looks like the coaches in Houston might be tired of waiting for Damian Pierce to get things going. There was a lot of Devin Singletary uh, in the Texans offense Man. last week. Yeah, yeah. We've been recommending the buy low on Pierce. 
really, you know, kind of tied to the tenets of the offensive line getting healthier. It's been banged up all season, right? They're just now, they got their starting tackles back last weekend. And then we're like, okay, look at CJ Stroud. If we thought he was going to be this good, we would have been even more excited about Damian Pierce. There's going to be more <laughs> right. touchdowns to be scored. Just kidding. Devin Singletary is the starting running back for the Houston Texans all of a sudden. It was actually Damian Pierce out there first. Now, this was the first leading game script that we've seen, you know, from the Texans where they really got ahead and they were trying to protect a lead late into the game. And so maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's the role they've envisioned all this time for Singletary. It would be kind of weird, right? He's the smaller back. Uh, you look at Damian Pierce and think, well, he would be more, more suitable for that work, but it wasn't the case. 35% snap share this week for Damian Pierce, 52% for Singletary. That's a that's a high on the season for Singletary, a low on the season for Pierce. Pierce slightly had the lead in rushing attempts, 43% versus Singletary at 40%, but it was really close, and most of the passing down work went to Singletary. He had 50% of the routes. Damian Pierce down to 23%. So that is a downgrade for Damian Pierce. He's been very inefficient. To your point, maybe the coaches are starting to sour on this player as well. I'm not dropping Damian Pierce yet because we saw such good things from him last year. And I'll be honest, even watching him this year, he hasn't really looked different. I just see him getting blown up in the backfield like every play almost. Um, whenever he gets a little bit of room, it's still been nice, but I'm not a running backs coach. Like this guy may be missing holes. He may be missing his reads. And maybe that's part of what's happening with some of these plays where he's getting stopped behind the line. So there's definitely something going on there to your point. So he gets a downgrade slight upgrade for Singletary. Um, so I've got Pierce down to, well, they're actually in the same range now, mid range RB three for Pierce mid range RB three for Singletary. And Singletary is one of these guys that I think is still, you know, we're going to have a buy this week for the Texans. So you got to remember that. But if you've got room to stash a guy like Singletary, again, all the same things apply to him, Marcus. I don't think we're as excited about his talent profile, but it's a better offense than we thought. You're going to have an offensive line getting healthy. And if this trend sticks and he takes another step the week after the buy, we could be suddenly thinking, okay, well, we don't like love Devin Singletary, you know, his talent profile, but he's getting a lot of work and an offense that we kind of like now. So that could be something that turns into a running back too. So he's available most of the time right now on waiver wires. I think he was only picked up like 20% of the time when I looked on Yahoo yesterday. So Singletary is definitely a name that will be out there, but he won't be able to help you this week. So that makes it challenging with the buys and injuries. You know, it's weird. You look at the kind of what's happened, especially in the passing game for Houston and neither running back getting a ton of targets. Uh, the running back who's had the most targets in a single game, Mike Boone had four in week one. Um, so <laughs> neither What's Pierce nor Singletary getting, <laughs> in, not, neither Pierce nor Singletary getting really any kind of love uh, in the passing game. I'll take which Texans running back uh, has had at least two targets this year. Uh, give me Mike Boone. <laughs> said no one ever. Mike Boone, right? Exactly. <laughs> that would be like the weird. That'd be like the weirdest immaculate grid category ever. You know, <laughs> Texans running back with multiple targets. Um, in Tampa, Rashad White. He had a little bit of a hive for him uh, into this in the early part of the season. Had a good game in week two. That hive started to buzz. It has been very quiet since then. Uh, I know the Lions' run defense is very good this year. They've been shutting a lot of people down. But at this point, it's just hard to make a case to have Rashad White in your lineup, it feels like, every week. Well, the big thing here for Rashad White is coming out of the bye, which is when we often see teams make adjustments. Now, whether they stick or not, you know, that remains to be seen. 
we saw a larger role for Keyshawn Vaughn. And really, this has been a two-week trend. In week four, we before the, before the bye, we saw Vaughn active for his first time this year. He took 32% of the rushing attempts. Last week after the bye, he handled 46%. So Rashad White, now his rushing attempts in those two games, we've got 54% and 54%. He had really been a volume play up until now, Marcus. Like, I think most people had come to the point where like, okay, the efficiency's not good. There's something going on with this guy, you know, as a as a runner, it, it's not really working out for him. And so that I, I think pretty much the community had come to, to, together to agree on that. I think where the disagreement was, some people were like, yeah, so fine. Even with all that, with the Bucks playing better offense, this guy's still getting enough opportunities to really make him someone that he's going to give you a nice floor in fantasy. And he's still going to occasionally have some nice games. But now this is going to be a challenge because because up until this last game, he was averaging 19 opportunities per game. So that's just taking targets plus rushing attempts, putting them together. He was in a really good spot like that. Typically over the history of, you know, fantasy football going back to 2011. That's like that. That's going to be a running back, too, in most instances. Like it's really hard to not be a running back, too, at least with that kind of now if you're Brees Hall with that volume, you're a running back one. But Keyshawn Vaughn with that volume, he's a running back, too. That's the way things work. Um, but now that looks like that could be off the table. I mean, that, that plummeted to only 11 opportunities last week. So that would be a real problem. So I have downgraded Rashad white to high end running back three status. His true utilization from last week would be like more like mid range running back three. But again, I kind of take it a step at a time because this could just be a blip. We may see him back in the same role. We, we had seen before the buy next week because Keyshawn Vaughn also was not very good. So I, I don't know what he really did to convince <laughs> the coaches that, oh, keep giving me the rock. So we'll see what happens with it. But for now, I think uh, Rashad White falls out of that running back two range. Yeah, it, uh, I just remember people, you know, saying this is going to be the guy that pushes Leonard Fournette out of a job because Fournette wasn't very efficient. And it's like, well, neither was White or Vaughn or any of these other guys. So uh, there's a trend seeming to happen with Tampa Bay backs uh, last couple of seasons. Um. Meanwhile, Christian McCaffrey, incredibly efficient, incredibly productive, also might not be available in week seven for the 49ers as he is dealing with an oblique injury. They do play on Monday night. We'll see if that makes a difference. But uh, right now, people making contingency plans. Look, Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, they're going to be very popular off the waiver wire this week, Dwayne. But the uh, the wrench in the, the works here might be Kyle Shanahan because he's not going to give us any clear indication of which guy is going to be the lead. So we're all sort of, it seems like we're kind of fumbling around in the dark and looking for the right answer here. Yeah, I think it's tough. Um, if you're if you're trying to make decisions around what to do on the waiver wire, I am per, I'm prioritizing Elijah Mitchell, but mostly because, Marcus, we've seen that this coaching staff really, they like him. And he gives them a different skill set long term than what we have from CMC. He is their, their A-chan, right? That's the archetype that A-chan came after. Uh, Chase Edmonds, rest in peace. That's, that's what the Dolphins tried to do with Chase Edmonds last year, and he couldn't live <laughs> up to the billing. But it's a lot of times a little bit of a smaller back, but really has that speed to where they use the scheme to get the player quickly into that hole, and then they take the angle away from the linebacker before they know it's gone, and they hit the big play, and they can often outrun the safety. And so Mitchell's the guy that they want doing that. And they've shown us that now for the last couple of years. So he's he's the one that I think could still carve out a little bit of work, even with CMC there, maybe give you some flex value later in the year. And if he's healthy, 
I think he is the guy that probably gets a little bit more work out of the two. Jordan Mason is really a different archetype. He's really more the guy that's going to come in, pound between the tackles. You know, he's not quite as fast, but he's he's a guy that they trust to make the right reads, make the cutbacks, and do the things that they want him to do, get the tough yards. And Jordan Mason looked good last week. Um, it was Mitchell's first game back from injury. I know it doesn't sound like anything new. It feels like every week is Mitchell's first week back from injury. <laughs> and you're probably right. He was probably injured the week before. Uh, but Mason handled 62% of the snaps and 57% of the rushing attempts after CMC left the game. I don't think that that necessarily sticks, though, Marcus. I think it's probably more of a 50-50. But because of Mitchell's injury history, I don't think they're ever just going to give him the full workload either. So I think we're probably looking at a split backfield, maybe a slight lead this week for Jordan Mason, but I could easily see it go the other way. I think both guys are worth picking up on waivers, but you just mentioned it. We're not going to get any sort of hat tip on this. Like we're not going to get any sort of hint and it's a Monday night game. So it makes it tough to go all in on anybody. Well, and you're not going to anyway, because CMC is going to be the main player in that backfield. Once he's ready, it's an oblique injury. Um, everything I read on Twitter yesterday from our wonderful doc community out there is that they feel like CMC is probably going to play this next week. It, it shouldn't be the type of injury that takes someone out long term. So you can take that for, you know, what you will. But I, I like leaning into the folks that actually, you know, their their backgrounds in medicine and they study all these sort of things. So I trust them more than my analysis on it. One hundred percent. So sounds like CMC should be ready to go, um, but probably a split backfield if not. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing's working in McCaffrey's favor, one, that it is a Monday night game, so it does give him that extra day to try to get ready. Also, if you remember, I mean, he went out of the game, he came back, tried to play a couple of plays, uh, then realized it just wasn't going to work, and then he went to the locker room. So uh, maybe it is not as bad, I know, for certainly for the 49ers and for a lot of fantasy managers, uh, hoping, fingers crossed, that Christian McCaffrey can play this week. Uh, some positive news for Ramondre Stevenson. He found the end zone. I, I, I saw the tweets. I didn't know it was real. I had to see it for myself. <laughs> but Ramondre Stevenson did score a touchdown. Um, I'll say this. The Raiders defense, the run defense, seems to be helping a lot of folks because it was A.J. Dillon a couple weeks ago with 76 yards and a touchdown. This week, Ramondre Stevenson has about 80 scrimmage yards and a touchdown. So does this mean we can start to believe again in Mondre? Yeah, I th look, the utilization had been there until last week, and he had a fumble in the game. He was playing through an injury, and we saw that season-low 51% of the snaps. But in week six, we really saw it bounce back to where it had been in week three and week four, so at 64% of the snaps. And when we were projecting Ramondre Stevenson this preseason, that's about where we thought he would be. We never thought he was going to be a 75 80% back, but that's still a lead running back in today's NFL, Marcus. If you're at that 65% range around snaps, Rushing attempts, Mondre's going to continue to probably get about half of those, which is where he was at this last weekend, 53% up from the week before where he saw that season low, 44%. And then his route participation, almost 60%. That's the big thing that's been missing for Mondre is, yeah, the efficiency's been bad. We're wondering what in the world has happened to this guy? How has he fallen off so quick as a 25-year-old? But on the other side of that, I was always like, well, even though it's a bad offense, Maybe he's maybe it's an offensive line challenge. Who knows? But at least he'll get catches, right? And that hadn't been happening. But that did come back this last weekend. 
He had 20% of the team's targets. That was second on the team. He had a 27% targets per route run, which is in line with what we saw from him last year. He was a 26% targets per route run player last year, and that's really good for a running back. Not quite to that CMC. It's actually right at that CMC Eckler level, but he's not a guy with like the plus A dot to go or average depth of target to go along with it. He's much more of a guy that does his work behind the line of scrimmage. And so that is a type of position this, or type of role that's more dependent on not having other receivers demanding targets. But guess what? He's in the perfect place for that. So that, I think, is the big thing here for Stevenson. In PPR leagues, maybe, maybe they finally, they're getting back to their roots of we're going to get Mondre involved in the passing game because we don't really have a lot of other options. And if that happens, Marcus, he could, where he could really easily like over the next few weeks of us talking through these things, work his way back into that running back one conversation. Um, we had moved him down to running back three last week, and we're already moving him back into low end running back two because it really looks like his role is still the same. And now maybe that passing volume is going to come his way. Yeah, I mean, seeing the six targets was really encouraging. Um, as you mentioned, the A dot really not great, but you know, look, just get the ball in his hands and let's see what could happen. And uh, maybe, just maybe, if the Patriots can figure out offense in some general way, uh, everything gets better for everybody there in New England. So we'll see about that. Um, let's turn to wide receivers now because Adam Thielen through six weeks don't look now he is the wide receiver three which absolutely no one no one saw that coming and so as we look forward uh look i, I don't know if he's going to continue to be a top three receiver but can he continue to be a top 12 receiver through the rest of the year yeah i think he can i think this is here to stay i mean at the age of 33 um, I, I, wow, I called, I called Thielen a 34 year old in the article. I got to fix that. Like, wow. I was like tacking a, I was tacking a year on. I was like, wow, 33, right? Uh, but yeah, 20.8 fantasy points per game. Marcus, you, you mentioned it, the number three wide receiver in fantasy. No, no one saw this. We did see some utilization stuff late in the preseason from Thielen that, you know, utilization preseason stuff is not always right. It did give us Thielen. That was one of our recommendations. Hey, this is a guy that early in the year we might be ranking as, you know, in the wide receiver two range. Now, we never thought it would be a top three wide receiver, but I did have to upgrade him again. He moves into the wide receiver one conversation. I think there's a real chance that this sticks. And one of the big reasons why for me is even though he's this older player, we have seen this happen before, Marcus. We have seen guys that have been really good target earners, you know, a few years before, kind of tail off, and then they get moved into the slot, and they have this resurgence in their career. We saw this from Larry Fitzgerald. He scored 16.3 and 15.4 fantasy points per game at age 33 and age 34. So those were both top 10 wide receiver seasons. Reggie Wayne in that rookie season with uh, Andrew Luck, you know, at the age of 34, he scored 16.9 fantasy points per game. That was a top eight season. A little bit lesser extent, we saw Anquan Bolden move inside um, with the Ravens later in his career, and he averaged 13.7 fantasy points per game. So that's kind of the floor. That was at age 34. So that was more of a wide receiver three type season. But we've just seen this before. And I think Thielen has shown us he's clearly got the chemistry with Bryce Young. That started very early in the preseason. He's getting mismatches against linebackers, against safeties. And also, I think a big part of this, Marcus, is working inside against so much zone coverage like that. You know, he doesn't have to have the elite athleticism to beat the cornerback opposite of him, right? It's really about having that savvy understanding of how defenses work. We see this with Keenan Allen as well. 
We see this with other uh, aging slot receivers that are in the league today, like Allen Robinson, not having this kind of year that we're seeing from um, Adam Thielen, but like even he is getting more targets than what we've seen, you know, from a target share perspective, you know, in recent seasons over in Pittsburgh. So looking at this with Thielen, I do think that it sticks. I think you have a wide receiver one on your hands, obviously at the age, there's a little more risk here with, you know, potential for injury. There's also the risk that we're dealing with the Carolina Panthers offense, but at least if something were to happen to Bryce Young, who really likes him, you know, you've got a solid backup that can come in that already showed they liked him and Andy Dalton and he and Thielen showed a connection as well that week. So I really like him. I, I would still consider him a sell high Marcus, but it would really have to be a sell high. Like no one could come to me with like, well, here's a younger wide receiver too. And you're like, well, okay, great. I'll give you my older wide receiver one. <laughs> like I, I, I really want a good offer uh, for Thielen. Now, if you're in dynasty and you're not in like the compete right now mode, He's definitely a sell high because he is at the cliff. I mean, next year he's going to be 34. He could end up having another season like Larry Fitzgerald did at age 34. But I mean, you're really close to the cliff. It's coming here in the next couple of seasons. But in redraft, he upgrades to wide receiver one status. And I do think it's here to stay, Marcus. It's funny because I feel like Adam Thielen is uh, he's like a human version of Jenga, right? Where every year we're pulling pieces out, we're expecting it to all tumble, and he just somehow <laughs> figures out a way to kind of keep standing. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of this year. And, uh, you know, I'm sure next year we'll argue about it and say that regression's coming and we'll all stay away and we'll see what happens then. Um, so let's go from the wide receiver three to a guy trying to be a wide receiver three, and that's Drake <laughs> London down in Atlanta. And look, the, the upside is it seems like the Falcons have discovered the forward pass, and more importantly, that they're getting it to their playmakers. After that you know, one target game in week one, Drake London has been peppered with a lot of targets, and the last two weeks has really, uh, really produced. The numbers have started to be there for him. So, you know, can we trust that Arthur Smith and Desmond Ritter will continue to do the right thing and feed Drake London? You just said the word trust and Arthur Smith in the same sentence. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, you know, no, I can never trust Arthur Smith. But to your point, we have seen some situations now where the right game script has been enough to push Arthur Smith off of that stubborn, staunch, clinging on, like with bloody fingernails. To, no, I'm running the ball no matter what. <laughs> we have seen him get pushed off of that in a couple of games. We saw it against the Lions in week three, where they actually had a neutral drop back rate over expected at plus 1%, and they got to neutral. Now, look, see, we're not getting aggressive here. We're not saying, well, look at this, a plus 7 drop back rate over expected. <laughs> no, they got to neutral. In two games, they've gotten to neutral. This is still the most run heavy team according to our drop back rate over expected uh data point over at fantasy life you look over in the team styles they're minus six percent no team has a number higher than that minus or sorry maybe i should say lower than that minus six percent for drop back rate over expected so still a team that wants to run the ball marcus i think that's still their identity but they have shown at least a little bit of willingness when forced to they'll at least throw the ball at the league average Okay, okay, like don't get carried away, but we'll at least do what the league average is. <laughs> and that's been enough. That's, to your point, been enough in a few of these games. But I think really the big key here is Drake London is just playing really well. He's earning a lot of targets. So even in these games where they're not throwing the ball as much, he's getting more looks. And as much as Desmond Ritter has struggled, he has been an upgrade over Marcus Mariota. Like his accuracy right now, I think I think Ritter right now is at 63% completion rate, which is still not great. But last year, Mariota was absolutely terrible. 
And so this is helping Drake London. This is helping Kyle Pitts. And whenever you can come out and you can earn, you know, the targets at the rate that London does, that's a nice thing. So he's averaging 7.2 targets per game this season. Historically, that lines up with his low end wide receiver three production. Right now, he is the wide receiver 29 uh, on the league. And this recent, you know, his targets per game does line up. Since 2011, wide receivers to average between six and eight targets, Marcus, they finished as the wide receiver 31 at 12.8 fantasy points per game. So right now, London at 12.2 and wide receiver 29. I don't know that he's going to move up much more from here, but I do believe with how well he is earning targets and this recent development that you just, you know, kind of brought up rightly so with Ritter <laughs> and the the willingness to throw a little bit more and the, just a slight bump in accuracy. It's funny, like all these little edges, these are not huge changes for the Falcons offense. But when you stack them all up just a little bit, it's enough that we can say, okay, we can trust Drake London in our lineups as a wide receiver three, and he can give us boom weeks. Like Marcus, he's had wide receiver 19 finish, a wide receiver 27, wide receiver 18. And this past week, he was the wide receiver five. So I think he's a he's that boom bust kind of wide receiver three play. But uh, I'm just as you pointed out, the important part they're they're getting him the ball, and that's that's all we've been asking for. Just get yeah. the ball to your playmakers, right? <laughs> get it to London, get it to Pitts, get it to Bijan, uh, you know, and then the chips will fall where they may at, at that point. So, um, meanwhile, in New Orleans, Chris Olave just the one touchdown so far this season, and I know a lot of folks have been sort of underwhelmed with his overall production. But Dwayne, when you look at the underlying metrics, I mean, the target share is there, the air yards are there. There's so many things that we want that are happening for Chris Olave. It just feels like eventually the fantasy points are going to follow that. Yeah, and I think the last two weeks before this, a lot of this just comes back to Derek Carr, Marcus. We haven't seen like a, a normal, you know, functional passing offense for two games. That was week four and week five, you know, with the AC joint issue that Derek Carr was struggling with. And it's funny, like how quickly sometimes like we can forget these things. Um, Ian actually did a nice job last week over on the Fantasy Life YouTube channel. You guys got to make sure you go check that out. We've got everything up there for free. A lot of great insights analysis. And he talked about Chris Olave as a buy low. And I'm just really backing that up this week and coming back in behind and trying to reinforce that, even though he did score 17 fantasy points this week. So he did a little bit better. Going to be a little bit tougher guy to trade for. But I think he's already much better than the wide receiver 20 ranking he has on the season. So he right now, Marcus, ranks 10th. And targets for the season at 54. He averages nine opportunities per game. If we remove the two injured games from Carr, that number jumps to almost 11 targets per game. So let's just look at both of those. Let's say, no, he's going to be in that 8 to 10. Who cares about the Carr injury game? I don't know why you wouldn't care, but let's say you don't because you just don't like me. <laughs> All right, 8 to 10 targets per game. The average finish for a wide receiver since 2011, is wide receiver 15. He's wide receiver 20 right now. 16 points per game. He's sitting at 13.2 right now. So you're getting an upgrade if you trade for him right now, even if he, even if we count those bad games from Derek Carr. But let's say he's no more of a 10 to 12 target guy. So going back again, same amount of time, 2011, wide receiver four is the average finish with 20.5 fantasy points per game. And with Alave, it just lines up also, Marcus, when we just watch him. He's open. He beats the best corners in the league. He can win deep. He can win underneath. He can run after the catch. He's not Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill, but he's still a really good wide receiver. And I think top six is really still his upside. I think mid-range wide receiver two is really more his floor. You're trading for him right now if you can get the price. If you know, and There's going to be some managers that have him. They're like, no, I'm smart. I, I love Chris Olave. 
But if they still are looking at him as a low-end wide receiver two or maybe as more of a wide receiver three play that they're not happy with, then you definitely want to pounce because I think there's a lot to like here about Chris Olave. I've got him as a mid-range wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what he can be, uh, and I think once you know they start connecting a little bit more and you know, the touchdowns start showing up, uh, then I think you know we'll see that yep. bump definitely for uh, for Olave. Jordan Addison, first game without Justin Jefferson, five targets, three catches, twenty eight yards. I mean, that's not great, but I guess sort of in his defense, Kirk Cousins didn't necessarily have a great day against the Bears passing uh, pass defense. So you know maybe we can sort of just chalk this up as uh, it was just kind of a rough offensive day for the Vikings all around. Yeah, and that's the perfect descriptor. I think in my article I wrote, man, <laughs> you know, but yeah. he was out there for 100% of the dropbacks, okay? And we know K.J. Osborne also got a little bit of a bump last week, but he's never been a high-end target earner. You have T.J. Hawkinson, who's been a solid target earner, but you need another guy that's really going to help you out. And I think the other thing that I looked at here with Minnesota is they ran a fast offense last week. So they had a plus 0.09 plays per minute over expected. And their drop back rate was still slightly over the league average at plus 2%. We talked about it last week. Maybe it would come down a little bit with uh, Kirk Cousins getting uh, with Justin Jefferson out of the picture. And so there was a slight adjustment in the way that they, they played the game, but they still were above expectation on their pass rate. So it's still a pass first team and an offense that has a good quarterback. And so I think eventually this is going to be a good thing for Jordan Addison. Um, you mentioned the target. This is only a 17% target share. That was tied uh, for first on the team. You know, KJ Osborne also had 17%. But the big thing is that 100% route participation and the fact that Jordan Addison was a high-end target earner in college. I do think we're going to get some good weeks out of him here before we get Justin Jefferson back. So I still look at him as a wide receiver three with upside. We'll see. Uh, they got a tough one this week. They uh, take on the 49ers on Monday Night Football. We'll see uh, what comes out of that one. Meanwhile, Jalen Waddle, uh, look, the the whole the Dolphins have been so much fun to watch offensively. And Tyreek Hill is doing amazing things, not just catching touchdown passes and putting up big yards, but taking selfies where he's doing backflips. Um, does Jalen Waddle get to get in on some of the fun? Do we get to see more penguin dances anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, we've been pretty unlucky, honestly with with waddle early this season you know you had the oblique injury that was coming out of training camp oh there's an oblique comp um he did come back and play but it was obviously limiting him a little bit so hopefully cmc isn't limited on monday but then he also picked up a concussion earlier in sept uh i can't remember which game it was it was one of the september games so there's been some things that have just really worked against waddle it was week two when that happened he ended up missing week three um, and then week four kind of came back, only had a 76% route participation. But these last two games, he's really been over that 80% route participation mark. And he has looked more like the Jalen Waddle that we're used to, Marcus. He's had a 36% and a 33% target share over the last two games. And this is a very condensed offense. This is all about Tyree Kill, about Jalen Waddle, and whichever running back or the two running backs that are healthy. That Durham, Durham Smythe at, at tight end, he's not a target earner. The other guy that's on the field the, the most often is a fullback, Alec Ingold. So when you're in that kind of scenario and you're also talented like Waddle, you're going to see a ton of looks almost every week. And that's what we're looking at here as a player that has that high upside because he's so explosive. He can beat you over the top. He can beat you underneath, run after the catch. We just haven't seen those huge plays come through yet. He's also the guy that right now, 
they're targeting the most in the end zone. He's their primary guy once they get down inside the 10-yard line. He has 33% of the end zone targets this season for the Dolphins. So absolutely, we're talking about the best passing tack attack in the NFL. This huge upside as far as big playability, and he's getting just peppered with targets. Jalen Waddle has an absolute smash coming his way. Like I'm talking slate-breaking performance. Like there's one coming very soon. He can be the kind of guy, and he hasn't been getting rostered as much in, in DFS because people kind of get that recency bias thing going. I know a couple of weeks I had him on a couple of rosters and he was only like 6%. So it's just a name we'll, we'll have to keep in mind. Like what does roster ship look like based on the matchup and things like that, that dictates where a lot of the, how people think about building their rosters in DFS. But Waddle is one of those names that can still be that slate breaker that maybe some people have forgotten about. Uh, but just a, a note to, you know, reinforce how good Tyreek Hill has been this year. Uh, he is obviously leading the Dolphins in receiving yards. Jalen Waddle is second. He's about more than 500 yards behind <laughs> uh, Tyreek Hill right now. And that's uh, that's not a knock on Waddle. That's just more about how good Tyreek has been through the first six weeks. Um over in New England, we, we see Ramondre Stevenson do something. We get a glimmer of hope. We get kind of excited. Kendrick Bourne goes out and has himself a pretty big day uh, last week. I know we're excited. We're hopeful. Do we believe, though, this has staying power? Probably not, because Kendrick Bourne, always, he does this. Like It's <laughs> like twice a year this guy does this. Um, the challenge is consistency for him. Um, his career targets per route run, 16%. It's not very good. This last weekend, he had one of those nice games. He had 19 fantasy points, 33% target share, but he got to operate primarily from the slot at 58% of his routes coming from the slot. Juju Smith-Schuster, that's where he plays. He was out of the lineup. In the games, or actually, I, I just isolated this down to plays with Juju Smith-Schuster off the field where he had Kendrick Bourne on the field. He has a 24% target share when Juju's off the field. When Juju's back on the field, he gets back down around that 17% mark, which we can't really use in an offense like the Patriots. So I think a lot of this comes back to what do they do with Smith-Schuster because there have been some uh, rumors circulating around uh, you know, the TikTok king that you know Bill Belichick didn't really like him. He had to be <laughs> sold on getting Juju Smith-Schuster. He didn't really want him. You know, I don't know how much of that's true. Like, yeah, the answer was always just keep Jacob, Jacoby Myers. So how does that feel? That's got to feel bad. But I think it really comes down to what's up with Juju. We hear Juju is going to miss another game. I will trust Kendrick Bourne for that game. If I hear Juju Smith-Schuster is back, even if he's only going to be out there 40 to 50% of the time, I'm going to be less likely to really trust Bourne because he struggled when he has to line up on the outside. And that's going to be a challenge. He is available in 80% of leagues. My guess is... He's going to go uh, for more than what I'm going to be willing to put down. Um, just like you mentioned, maybe that's just the season we're in where everybody's in pure panic mode because all the red they see on their, <laughs> they look at their fantasy lineup and they see, you know, red on or next to like, you know, 30% of the players on their team. You know, it, it can have a psychological impact on you and how you want to handle your fab dollars. So I think he's worth a pickup. I'm probably not going to get in because I think there will people that'll, there'll be people that'll see that 19 points and, you know, they're just going to be like, okay, I'm going to drop 40%. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. We've already actually been through this one time this year, and we told people, hey, Bourne's fine. You can pick him up, but don't go blow a lot of fab money on him. And that was after week one, and then he fell flat again. So there is a path, though. If Juju yeah. somehow gets is out of the mix, then I could see a situation where Bourne ends up as a wide receiver three this season. 
Yeah, and again, uh, you know, if the quarterback play gets better, then, then maybe everything gets better there. But until then, uh, just a big question mark there. Uh, last bit of wide receivers here. You picked out three rookies that are starting to get some more love, uh, and maybe including one in Kansas City, Rasheed Rice. Is he is he going to be the guy? I mean, Travis Kelsey is the guy, but after that, can Rasheed Rice be the number two target in this offense? Yeah, we are at that point where we're starting to see rookies you know, we're seeing their roles expand unless your name's Quentin Johnston. You know, Quentin Johnston coming out of the bye, I actually saw his <laughs> routes go down, Marcus. Uh, and, and, you know, you you mentioned earlier, like one his one target turned into a pick. Uh, so <laughs> not going good for Quentin Johnston. But Rasheed Rice, things are going good. Um, 50% route participation this last week. Now we had Justin Watson leave that game with an elbow injury. Does sound like he's going to miss a little bit of time, not long term. But this is just that the door opening that we need for rice because really after Travis Kelsey, he's been the next best wide receiver on the chiefs. I'm excluding Kadarius Tony because so many of his looks come on gadgetry type, you know, uh, schemed up looks. So Tony's slightly ahead of Rasheed rice, but a 30% targets per route run for Rasheed rice right now. He's often getting to operate out of the slot. He's up. He's also not going deep. He's operating underneath, but we've seen him do some nice things with the ball in his hands. The question is, Will Andy Reid ever truly open this up? We waited on this forever last year with Sky Moore. Every week it was like, is it going to be the Sky Moore week? They don't have anyone. He's got to get on the field. All Everybody's hurt. <laughs> they're rotating like 27 wide receivers here, and I don't know that they're going to stop, but Rasheed Rice, I do believe, is a must-roster option across all formats, a guy you really want to have on your bench because if it does come true, he's shown, unlike Sky Moore last year, that he can earn targets. And again, we do know that the opportunity is there because no one else is stepping up outside of Kelsey. So it's with Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, I think that goes without saying. So there's a lot of upside here. You 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 could even use him in a flex, you know, if you needed to this week. He's coming through because he gets so many targets on the routes that he's out there. If he's out there half the routes, he's still going to have a chance to score 10 points, but he also gives you a ton of upside if it does hit Marcus. Uh, and then Jalen Hyatt uh, starting to get some love there for the Giants. But maybe the more interesting one to me is Jackson Smith and Jigba because we've been really big on him. It just hasn't really been working out. But uh, on Sunday, we saw him get a little more attention in the Seahawks offense. So maybe maybe JSN starting to turn a corner a little bit. Yeah, super quick on Hyatt. Like, it's just the trend. His route participation has gone from 36% to 59% to 60% to 80%. And we've had Isaiah Hodgins. He's phased out. Paris Campbell phased out, Sterling Shepard phased out. So they were running like they were kind of like the Chiefs. This is actually a great example of what can happen for a guy like Rasheed Rice. And they just said, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to consolidate this down to our young guys. We know what these older guys are. We're not going to worry about it anymore. Let's get Jalen Hyatt on the field. And so he is a stash play in deeper leagues. But your point on JSM was really interesting because again, this is coming out of the bye week. So coming out of that bye week. We had a new rotation for the wide receivers. Now, DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf did miss a little bit of time in this game, but it was it, I don't even think it was a full drive based on what I could find in the data. Um, you know, I think he had a hip issue or something like that. So 81% route participation, Marcus, across all three wide receivers, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, they are rotating them. And so this now opens the door for JSN to be able to earn more targets. He's been fine when he's been out there as far as earning targets. The challenge has really been it's also all low ADOT stuff. We also saw that improve a little bit this last weekend. He got a few more targets down the field. Not, didn't necessarily come down with all of them, 
but getting more utilization. Don't really want him in our lineups yet, but he is a player that I do believe should be rostered. I look at him right now as a low-end wide receiver four with upside that could quickly be in the wide receiver three conversation. This is the kind of player that also has contingency value, Marcus, because we know he's good. If something does happen to Lockett or Metcalf and they miss time, I think that's a really, really big thing for JSN, and he can be the kind of guy that could win some weeks for you later in the season. Yeah, um, again, it's it's not about talent. We know the talent is there. Now maybe the opportunity going to start to follow uh, as we get later into the season. One tight end to talk about, Michael Mayer. You know, This was a year where all the rookie tight ends, there was a lot of excitement about them. Sam Laporte has been awesome. Dalton Kincaid, not so much. Uh, Michael Mayer had been pretty much invisible until the last couple of weeks. Two targets all season long, then he's had uh, a number in the last few weeks. So uh, maybe now Michael Mayer, he's we're not just going to immediately plug him in, but now Dwayne, he's at least worth having on your roster at this point. Yeah. With mayor, obviously you've got Jacoby Myers playing good and you've got Devonte Adams. So those two guys, they're going to get theirs, but it's a very, it's a very condensed offense. You know, they don't run a lot of three wide receiver stuff. Um, they did get Tucker out there more this last weekend. Another rookie seeing more time. Hunter Renfro kind of pushed to the, to the wayside, but that's really just a, a side tangent. We don't have time for it here. Mayor, the big thing I want to mention, again, is back to the talent <laughs> profile, just like we talked about with JSN. This guy is the all-time leader, Marcus, and this is not this is saying a lot. Notre Dame is a good tight end school. He's the all-time leader in, team re in, in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns by a tight end for Notre Dame. Um, he earned a starting role as a freshman. He broke out as a sophomore. A sophomore season, this guy put up a 24% target share. That's really hard for a tight end to do. 36% target share as a junior. Second youngest prospect coming out this last year. Darnell Washington was the only one younger. So this is a guy that came in, played as a true freshman, earned playing time in a really big program, and went out and performed on the field. He did all the things that we could ask for. Now, we talked about it this preseason. Austin Hooper is the kind of guy that we don't think is a big deal, but for a rookie, it can be enough just to keep them off the field. And that's why we were lower on Mayer in the preseason process for season long. We were we always liked Mayer in Dynasty, but for season long, we thought it could take some time and it might even be a year. But we are seeing the frost kind of start to thaw. Michael Mayer, the last two weeks, we've got a nice trend going here, Marcus. 44% route participation in week five. That jumped to 67% in week six. And that target earning ability that we saw in college, it's translating. 19% targets per route run in week five, 27% in week six. So I've moved him up to high end tight end two status. I made a very aggressive move on him because there's no, there aren't any tight ends. Like tight end is a wasteland. Right. And so I just don't think you can afford to just sit around and be like, well, I'm going to wait till I see it. No, like you have to go get it now. You have to, you have to try to get this guy on your roster now. What Marcus said is right. You'd rather not have him in your lineup, but I'll tell you this. Like if I'm sitting on a player like Dalton Kincaid, I'll just take Michael Mayer and I'll start him now because it's really the same thing. But Dalton Kincaid has shown us nothing and Michael Mayer is now showing us something. So I'm going to go ahead and make that kind of move. If I've got a player like a Tyler Conklin that I'm nursing along, anything in those kind of ranges, you guys know. I, I get your screenshots in my DMs of, oh my God, like which one of these <laughs> tight ends do I start? And I'm wanting to say neither, but I guess we have to pick, don't we? Um, <laughs> Mayor should be in, on your team over all those kind of guys. He should be over on your team over all those kind of over all those. I look at him like Jake Ferguson. I know Ferguson didn't have a big game last night, but they're very similar profiles guys getting into that 60 to 70% route participation. But when they're out there, 
their quarterbacks really do look for them. And so I, I like Michael Mayer. I think he has a chance to work his way into this tight end one tier. And maybe he's a guy that we are talking about similar to the way that we talk about Sam Laporta in Detroit here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, again, if there's a place where you're going to be overly aggressive, it's probably at tight end, especially because like, if it doesn't work out, uh, you, you can churn through them because everybody is pretty much in the same boat unless they've got, you know, Laporta, Kelsey, Hawkinson. <laughs> That's probably about it uh, at the position. So not very deep there. This show, though, was very deep and chock full of information packed with all sorts of goodness and fun. And hopefully you all enjoyed it. And we appreciated you hanging out with us. But that is going to do it for this edition of the Utilization Report Debrief and Sheesh Report. We appreciate you watching and engaging with us. However it is, you do. For Ian Harditz, for Dwayne McFarlane, I am Marcus Grant. Enjoy the week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again real soon.